an amazing job. Very good. So I'm not going to review all 10 of these people because that would just take too long. But I will say that these were some amazing lessons and I pray that you were blessed by them. I pray that these lessons are meaningful to you from the standpoint of growing spiritually. Amen. And um, I pray that you're getting something out of them. I'm, I, this is the last week. Uh, next week, Elder Rod will be preaching, and then in September, we'll be mo moving to a new series. I'll give you a little heads up. The series is going to be a, um, that'll last until Tim preaches on Christmas Sunday. It'll be a series where we will be doing a, um, a, a deep dive in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon possibly ever preached. So I'll give you guys a little foreshadowing of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, coming up uh, starting on Sunday, September 11th. Um, let me just say this really about these people. I was asking the Lord for a way to summarize these 10 weeks, the last three, three months of my life studying these obscure characters in Scripture. And I thought, yeah, I could talk about, I could talk about Benaiah, uh, who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Matter of fact, I could say, you know, he even chased the lion down in the pit. I could talk about, you know, his name means God, God builds. Uh, I thought about his father who trained him, no doubt. Jehoiada, whose name means God knows. Actually, I looked at this scripture that I share with you guys in Ecclesiastes. You should make a note of this. I think it's really good. Regarding God knowing your situation, Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind, you know, the path of the wind, like which direction does the wind go? How do you, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to the wind, you know, knoweth not from which it comes, whence it comes and where it goes. Uh, Jesus was sharing that with uh, Nicodemus in John 3. Uh, he says also, the writer of the Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, and how bones are formed and the uh, womb of a pregnant woman. So you don't know the activity of God who makes all things. Uh, I, you, know, you know, I was thinking about that because I, I, I love, I, I just love the human anatomy and medicine. And I was thinking about, you know, why did he mention that about the uh, bones of the uh, baby created in the mother's womb. And he's saying, you don't know how that happens. You don't understand how these, this matrix of bones, this osteogenetics, it's called osteogenesis, uh, how these bones are formed. And so I thought, you know, we're right. And I thought, wow, that wasn't a question that God asked Job over in Job 38, 39, 40, and 41. He didn't use that question. So I looked it up and I thought, wow, when a baby is formed, she, he or she has 300 bones. By the way, did you read the article about the nine-year-olds, the state that approved the nine-year-olds getting gender transformations uh, without parental consent? Uh, I mean, we've gone way beyond pronouns and, and that madness of, of wokeness. We're now into gender changings for children who don't even know which side is up and they're able to choose 
Okay, but that's another story. So I was looking into this osteogenesis, this, this part of bone formation for infants, because I thought, well, why did God mention it? That was just such an amazing thing. We didn't know about that back then. Well, who would have known that a baby starts with 300 bones, and by the time they're fully developed and they come, they, they, they grow up, by the time they're an adult, it's down to 206 bones for most adults. And it's because the bones get melded together. They're fused together over time. So it goes from 300 bones to 206 bones. And God knows which bones to fuse together and how to develop that infant so that the mother can't crush the baby while laying in bed or rolling over or, or even falling, that God has designed such a mechanism that it just, it just, it's a miracle of creation. And the Lord says in his word, Ecclesiastes 11:5, you don't even know how that works. You don't know, but God knows. We don't know, but God knows. We don't know where the darkness starts and where it goes when the light comes or where he, he asked Joe, where does the darkness go? When the light appears, where is it hidden? What happens to it? How is the darkness displaced? He asked Joe, could you explain that, that physical phenomenon, that particular uh, law of physics of, of, of electromagnetics and how, how all of this works in the cosmos? And I'm, I imagine, I don't know if he did, I'm just imagining Joe scratching his head and saying, I don't know. <laughs> all I know is that we, we, well, they didn't have a light switch. All I know is that I light the candle and the darkness goes away. All I know is that morning comes and night disappears. I, I don't understand exactly the mechanics of how it happens, but we, what the point I think that the Lord is making is that what made Benaiah so great is that you just learn to trust God. You don't have to understand Hebrew and Greek and all 66 books and all the, the theological found, uh, foundations and all of the exegesis and ex, ex, the hermeneutics behind scripture to be saved. You just trust God. You just believe him. You believe him because he's proven himself to be believable. He's proven himself to be faithful. Marie read it there in Lamentations 3. He's made himself a, a, a pattern of good works throughout throughout our whole life, you know. In CC uh, Wine and Sons, that Lord, you, you've always been faithful. You've always shown yourself faithful. My my trust is not based on on just uh, smoke and mirrors. My trust is based on your history. You've proven yourself faithful. You've proven yourself to come through. You've proven yourself to be reliable. My trust is based on our history together. I may not understand Hebrew or Greek. I mean, I can break down a passage in the original language. I may not understand all of the, the hermeneutics and all of the, the technicalities of it, but I know what you've done. Like the blind man said to when the uh, Pharisees were asking him, how, who healed you and what happened? He said, well, I don't know who he was. I don't know how he did it. I don't understand the mechanics of the miracle, but I can tell you this, I was blind, but now I see. The power, the power is in the testimony. The power is to be able to declare, I know what God has done in my life. Oh 
boy. I, I, I won't, I won't get in. So, 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 so I'm going through this week. I'm going through this week. Of course, I was in Cincinnati, so I had to sit out last week. I had to uh, endure not being able to preach at the funeral. I had to endure not being able to teach Sunday school. Thank you very much, Coach. I had to endure waiting on the sidelines and not being able to say too much at the funeral because I didn't want to overstep my bounds. So I'm thinking about this lesson. Lord, how, how do we take these 10 lives and reduce them down to one or two lessons? And by the way, Tim, I heard you make fun of me when you said, okay, I got three points. I sound like my uncle. I heard that, Tim. I heard that. It's okay. I love you anyway, my son. <laughs> I heard you. So I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to make three points today. Now, Tim, I'm only making two points. Two. Now, try figuring me out next time. <laughs> so two points I want to make. Two of these guys that just kind of stood up, and I said, these two uh, just sort of resonate with me, and they sort of jumped ahead of the other ones in my mind. And number one, number one, I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on both of these, and I'm going to sit down. Number one was Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? Yeah. Abel just blew me away. Is there any reason at all that the air conditioners are not on? Thank you. If you get cold, I'm sorry. If you can get if you get cold, you're allowed to sit in the back, and we won't turn on the air in the back yet. But uh, I'm just burning up up here. Maybe it's my excitement. I don't know. I, I do tend to bring my own heat, but that's okay. It's just exceptionally hot. So so this dude named Abel, guys. I want you to see this for a second. There, there's only maybe, maybe, maybe at the minimum, there's four or five people on earth. Maybe some of the girls have been born to Adam and Eve yet. We don't really know the timeline. But we got Abel, we got Cain, possibly Seth, Adam and Eve. And God has instituted worship way back. How old were they? I don't know. Adam lived to be 930 years old. What age, what time frame are we at? Are we at, at the 50-year mark? Is Cain and Abel in their 30s? Are they in their 70s? Are these cats like 260 years old? We don't really know. But we know that they knew enough to understand worship. And Cain's worship was unacceptable. And Abel's worship was acceptable. And here's how Hebrews renders that. Because Genesis 4 doesn't tell us the backstory. But the writer of the Hebrews doesn't. Listen what he says, ladies and gentlemen, in Hebrews 11.4. By faith. I have yellow highlights in my, I don't write in my Bible. But I do write on my, when I type in the scripture. I, I highlight this like a mug, but I don't, I don't, I don't write in my Bibles because I don't want to. All, when I'm studying, I don't want to be. I don't want my eyes to become trained to one passage and overlook some other goodies that I'm blowing by because I'm looking for the highlight. But in my sheet, I have by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, and I got locked, ladies and gentlemen. Listen. I'm two weeks prepping for this sermon. I'm getting locked on the term better. What made it better? Why was that important? Why is that there? So I looked up the word better. 
in the English dictionary. It says better is, of course, an adjective, and it means a more excellent or effective type or quality. And I'm just blown away now by that. Abel offered better worship, more effective worship, worship that was more of a higher quality. And I said, where else have I seen that word better in relationship to describing something else? And yes, I've heard of it before. Over in Luke 10, when Jesus was explaining to Martha why she needs to chill and don't worry about what Mary is not doing, be more concerned about what you are doing. You're neglecting the, the better for the lesser. He said to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But verse 42 just knocks the ball out the park. He says, but few things are needed. Matter of fact, an NIB says, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen, watch this, are y'all with me? Watch this, the Bible says, Mary has chosen Rod, what? Is it up there? Mary, it's not in that version, but that's okay. In the NIV, it says, Mary, and actually a couple other versions will say that too. Mary has chosen that which is better. Oh, man. I hit the ceiling. I said, Abel knew way back in Genesis what was better, what was acceptable, what was excellent, what excelled, and Abel chose it. And God accepted him. Mary chose it. God accepted it and said, I won't take it away from her. Good works, activities, service, those things may be good, but there's something that's better. There's something that's even better than good. <laughs> so, so Marie and I were just kind of like taking a stroll down memory lane last night. And I, I remembered this song and I looked it up because I used to love it when my niece Karen would lead it. It's written by the Reverend James Cleveland. It's entitled, Please Make Me Better. And some of the words, some of the lyrics go like this. And if it takes all the worldly things from my life, make me better. Lord, please make me better. And if it means that I have a lot to sacrifice, make me better. And if it means sometimes I have to fight with tear-stained eyes, make me better. Lord, please make me He says, even if sometimes that I falter when I try, I'll get up and go on because you'll make me strong and I want to give you my best. I'm only hurting myself if I try to give you less. Make me better, Lord. Oh, my goodness. I, I said, oh, I said, he, I said, this song is just preaching my son. He says, I want to be better than good enough because being good won't be quite enough. Are you all with me? Are you with me online? Do, do you, do, can you hear me, Brother Earl? I mean, I mean, Lord, I want to do my best. Make me better. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'll go all the way and do whatever you say. Just make me better, Lord. Wow. 
I want to be better. I want my worship to be better. I want my worship to be true. John told the woman in Samaria at the well in John 4, 23, he says, but the hour cometh and now it is when the Lord, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. A better worship. What is a better worship, Pastor Will? It's true worship that follows God's rules about how we approach him, how we come before him, how we please him in our worship, how we offer a sacrifice from a heart that's been washed, according to John 4.23. It's about coming and participating in church, not with a heart that's far from him, like Jesus said in Matthew 15.8 when he says, these people, they come to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I love what Paul told the writer of Timothy, and we're going to study it on Wednesday nights, guys. You wait till we get to 2 Timothy, because it even if, if it can even get better than 1 Timothy, it certainly does another level of, of depth, of in-depth study when Paul told Timothy it's possible for people to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. In other words, they can have look like they're coming to church, look like they're worshiping, go through all the motions, say the right things, jump around, dance, shout, raise their hand. But at the end of the day, their heart is not clean. Their heart is not pure. Their motives are not completely connected to what God is looking for. So there's a greater level of worship and Abel connected with that. And God said it was better in Hebrews. He said, Martha, you're doing great things. I love the fact that you're putting together this multifaceted meal for me and my boys. But at the end of the day, this is God incarnate. You should be where Mary is, sitting at my feet, soaking up the word, learning of me, living before me, talking to me, answering, asking questions, getting knowledge, getting uh, transformation through the word. You can cook anytime, but I won't be here with you always. Let's get better. And the last guy that just kind of impressed me not for the reasons that he impresses most people as I wrap it up with this guy, and that was Jabez. And it's not even his prayer, guys. I know his prayer gets a lot of ink, and his prayer was amazing. Dr. Bill Wilk Bruce Wilkerson, Wilkerson has, you know, written a book and has opened a cottage industry about the prayer of Jabez. But let me tell you, it's not his prayer that knocks my socks off. It's him. It's Jabez. Not the prayer of Jabez. It's Jabez that to me is something for us to take home on August 28, 2022. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 4, 9, that Jabez was, wait for it, more honorable. There it Pastor Will goes again with these adjectives. I'm always looking at the grammatical construction of these sentences because I don't think any of it is by accident. And I think God put these words here for a reason. And he could have just said that Jabez was honorable. He could have just said that Jabez was a cool dude. He could have just said that Jabez was a good guy. But he said, no, that he was more honorable. The fact that the Lord took the time to, to, to strike a contrast with his other brothers is meaningful to me. And it's especially meaningful when his name is Jabez, which is a name that means, it, it means sorrow and, and, and pain and suffering. And then for him to be 
regarded as more honorable than his brothers who were not pain and suffering, that calls something to my attention. I need to look into that. Why? Why was he that way? And so when I started to deconstruct this guy named Jabez, who's only mentioned, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, in this short passage in all of the Bible, he's not hearkened back to from the Old Testament. I mean, in the New Testament, no one refers to him in the Gospels or the Epistles or the Book of Acts. This is just his one shot, one and done. Jabez, you get two verses in Scripture and then you're out, buddy. Well, he made the most of them. <laughs> if that's if that's even possible the bible says that he was more honorable and that he called upon the god of israel and those are the two things that stuck with me because the word more is an adjective and actually when i started looking into the syntax of it it's not just an adjective it's a determiner which means it's not just it's not, an adjective of course is a modifier or a, dis a describer it's not just something that provides a description or, or a modification of something, it also determines an extent. So the Bible says that he was more, greater. It, it's, it's measuring quality. It's, a, it's not just a qualitative analysis. It's also a quantitative analysis. That means it's measuring amount or the quantity of, of honor. He has, he's more honorable. That is a greater or an additional amount, the word in the Hebrew, uh, in the English, rather. The Webster Dictionary says that more is greater or additional amount or degree of. He was more honorable. And so when I saw that, when I looked at more honorable, honorable in the Hebrew means heavy or weighty, I thought about where else have I seen the word more in, in description of in the context of describing something against something else where there was a contrast or a comparison and guess what i came up with this verse you guys have probably never read this before or maybe you've read it in passing but it's this really obscure verse that you might want to take a uh, pay attention to it's in acts chapter 17 verse 11 and it says these were more noble you guys ever seen this verse before acts 17 11 these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. You know I'm being facetious. The Bereans, the Bereans were more noble. So I thought about Jabez, more honorable. When, when God uses the juxtaposition of those terms, those adjectives, in this particular context, always to me suggests there's something important here to look at. What's more noble about the Bereans? What's more honorable about Jabez? Well, why? I need to find out why they were more noble, why they were more honorable. Jabez obviously was more honorable because he called upon the name of God. He called upon the God of Israel. Here he's in all these pagan surroundings. He's in all of these God-defying nations, these polytheistic nations, these atheistic nations. And yet and still, he's, he's cursed with this horrible name, Jabez, which means painful or bitter or sorrow. And he's calling on the name of the Lord. He's finding within himself to pray, to seek the God of Israel. And those Bereans, as great as they were, as great as the Thessalonians were, the Bereans were more noble because they looked at the word of God as something to be studied, to be searched, to be lived, to be practiced. Here's a Monday morning moment. 
God sees what man overlooks. And so I stole a line from the song that Brother Beecham sang. Lord, help me to see me the way you see me. That's the Monday morning moment. I'll repeat it. God sees what man overlooks. So there's something there that God is able to see, that God will see, that God is looking for, that man overlooks. So then I'm asking, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to see me. Help me to analyze myself. Search me, Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to have that attitude of able, a better, a better attitude, a better approach to worship that I don't just dismiss the fact that assembling of ourselves together is critical. The Lord says, not only is it critical, we shouldn't forsake it because it is important to building the body, building the body of Christ, the corporate body. It's, it's, we, we, we enter into accountability to one another. We enter into a position of encouragement and strengthening one another. We bring our lives before one another for scrutiny and analysis so that we don't go off in error. It, it brings about a, a sense of not only discipline and accountability, but responsibility that I owe the body of Christ, the gift that God has empowered me with, that God has given me a, a, a contribution to the body that the body needs. And when I'm not acting in that way, when I'm not available, when I'm not uh, uh, using that to his glory, I am denying I am withdrawing this gift that God has given me to share with the body, to build up the body, to lift up the body, to edify the body. Amen? You, that, that's, that's so critical. And, and to me, it's what distinguishes these people that were good with the people that were better. I want to be better. Are you all with me? I want to be better. To me, being good enough is not, I, I said it in the song. You know, the songwriter said it. Good and I, I, I want to be better than good enough. Because being good enough ain't quite enough. <laughs> Amen. Being an also ram, being average is not good enough. God wants us to be excellent. He wants us to be perfect. He wants us to be like him. Oh, boy, there's so much more I can say, but my time is up. I'm just going to stop because I was talking to Marie yesterday about, you know, there's a fine line between what we say and information overload. And I'd rather give you just enough to process for the week that will help you grow and be transformative as well as informative. Because when I look at these two lives, Jabez and able that that to me is food for a month or a year that i can live up to that level of worship that worship that's in spirit and in truth when i when i harmonize john 4 with genesis 4 and hebrews chapter 11 um i i walk away with an understanding of worship that takes me to a different place takes me to a different level and how I want to come before the Lord. And then I want 
when I look at Jabez and how he offered his prayer, he offered it from a heart of, of, uh, of honor. He was more honorable. He was more holy. That challenges me to want to take my walk with the Lord to the next level. Lord, we just ask you to bless us this morning that your words will be meaningful to us, that they will be rhema, that they will be life-giving. As Jesus said in John 6, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. These words are life. They are quickening, life-giving. And Lord, we want our life to, to be pleasing in your sight. And we want to be a source of life to others. We want to be a source of rhema to others. We want to be a source of encouragement to others. Bless us, Lord, to walk pleasing to you that we might be better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Tim.